I'm so glad you've joined us today. Thanksgiving can be a mixed bag, can it? It really can. I mean, sometimes family things are wonderful and also they're horrible. Sometimes you wish you didn't have the relatives you had, and sometimes you're so grateful for the relatives that you have. You know those stores are shouting your name at times, and you need to leave, but if you leave, the matriarch of the home is going to frown. Unless the matriarch goes with you, then everything is all good. You know, about 30 years ago, uh, my dad had passed away. And one of the hardest Thanksgivings I've ever had was uh, sitting in a funeral home on that Thursday and that Friday. And I look back at that and realize, although there are wonderful times we have to celebrate with family and memories, there are also some of you going through some tough times, struggling with life, trying to figure out how to move forward without maybe a loved one. And so I, I greet you in the name of Jesus, trusting that your hearts today will be encouraged. Whether you've had a happy, a sad, a wonderful, terrific, or a bummer of a Thanksgiving time. Yeah. You know, we're all on a journey here. And we've been reading and learning about the God from the Bible. God is loving and God is faithful and God is just. And to be quite honest, when I start off with a statement like that, people have a tendency to say, well, Rick, I know about God. I, I understand God. I, 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 you know, I go and celebrate Christmas every year. We get the Easter thing, Rick. Well, hopefully, every time we open up God's Word, your perspective of God changes. Reason is, God is so different than we are. His actions will confuse us at times. And His thoughts, well, we just don't think like Him. So in order for us to be able to align ourselves and understand how amazing our God is, every Sunday we open up the Scriptures. To help us stay focused and encourage participation, I'm using the book, The Story. The story begins in a garden. So many of you have heard the creation story. And things were really good for a while until... Well, Adam and Eve decided they didn't really wanted, want to obey all of God's rules and regulations. Well, it didn't go well for them. And therefore, it didn't go well for us. Because sin entered the world and rebellion started to rule. In the midst of this broken world, God still decided to create a nation where he could live and he could interact. Eventually, God raises up Moses, who leads Israel to another garden. But as so many of you know, when they came to the place to enter, Israel said no. The walls are too big, the giants, uh, they're scary, and it's just not worth it. I cannot trust 
you. So they wandered. They wandered in the desert until a time when they came to a place where Joshua was able to lead them into the promised land and set them up actually really well. Amazing miracles under Joshua's leadership. But when Joshua died, even though he set them up well, Israel enters a really dark time. The last few weeks we've been together and looking at this story, we've been focusing in this dark time, the time of Judges. In spite of Israel's rebelliousness, God still wanted to have a relationship with them. Yet they learned the hard way. All the gods of the land looked so attractive. All of the, well, culture seemed to be magnetic and draw them into it. And so they didn't follow God with all their hearts. And they repeated this cycle of disobedience, which led to misery, which led to repentance, which led to rest and peace. God's grace continually shouted during this time as he sent judges to help people and to encourage people. It was during this dark chapter of Israel's history that Ruth the Moabitess shows up. That was last week's lesson. Instead of violence and anarchy and lawlessness, which happens when you live apart from God, we saw tenderness and love and sacrifice. It was a breath of fresh air and gives hope to the godly who live in a polluted world. Let's pray before we see how God works in the next chapter of our story as we begin to open up 1 Samuel. Let's pray. Lord, again, um, I know I'm sort of dense. I don't get it at times. I know, God, that you love me, and I know, God, that your ways are unbelievably right. But I don't see the way you see. And so sometimes my faith wavers. I think all of us, Lord, we, we look at you, and, and sometimes we, well, in a very arrogant way, think we know more than you. God, would you change our perspective today? Would you open our eyes to who you are? Would we be able to follow you with all of our hearts? Would you give us wings, Father, to soar in spite of the circumstances or situations that, well, we find ourselves in, Lord, today? We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a common thread found in the stories which are recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 1 through all the way through 15. Again, if you're reading along with us, reading ahead of time, there are so many different avenues we could go down, so many different roads, and we want to encourage you. In the back of your bulletins, you'll always find what the text is for the day, and then next week's text, even if you don't have the book, is listed there so you might be able to read through it and I just think get a little bit more out of what we're talking about. Well, this common thread which ties all the stories together is the fear of God. 
you know, I had the privilege of being with all six of my grandkids over Thanksgiving and with my family. And one of the things I chatted with my grandkids about was the fear of God. And honestly, I'm not so sure I did a good job of it. All right. We talked over and over about it and tried to understand what does it mean to fear God? Does it mean I'm just afraid of you, God? Does it mean that every step that I take, you're ready with the sledgehammer to just whack me over? No. This fear of God, as we get to know God, is this deep respect recognizing that he is truthful and honorable and that he will do everything that he says. And so it's something that at least in these first 15 chapters of 1 Samuel, well, there wasn't much of. Way back in Deuteronomy, when Moses was still alive and he had the children of Israel, and he was giving his last sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting in verse 12. This is what he tried to, well, put down in a nutshell. He said, hey, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? I love this. Because for, well, me. Cut to the point, Moses. You've already spoken, you know, ten chapters. Can you tell us what? is it that our God wants? He requires only that you fear your God. Fear the Lord your God. And live in a way that pleases Him. And love Him and serve Him with all of your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. God's message has been so very, very clear for us from the beginning. It says, hey, fear the Lord your God. Please Him. Love Him. Serve Him with everything that you have. And the reason we know that you'll do that, or I do that, is that I will obey. Let me share some of the stories found in the first 15 chapters of 1 Samuel. I'd like you, though, if you would, to play a game with me. A little game. Don't worry, it's not too crazy, all right? But I'd like you to ask the question of each of the characters in this story, because we're going to talk about quite a few characters. And every time we talk about a certain character, I'd like you to ask the question, does he or she fear God? Does he or she fear God? A simple yes or a no would be great. And then we'll come back to it at the end of the message here. Let me jump right in. In the very first chapter of 1 Samuel 1, so if you want to open your Bibles or your flat screens there, that would be good. There was a man named Eli who became a high priest. He was the main spokesman for God. And this happened about 1128 B.C. At this moment, he appointed his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, as priests. That was basically what happened. 
We're nearing the end of the judges, but in Israel, things are really dark still. Everyone is doing whatever is right in their own eyes. They're really not following God very well. Well, evil ruled and even leaked into the priesthood. There's a man who's introduced to us in chapter 1. And this man's name is Elkanah. Elkanah. He loved God and faithfully, in spite of the culture around him, traveled to the tabernacle to worship and sacrifice. Elkanah had two wives. Let me just tell you, that is never good. Okay? No matter what culture we're in, it is never good. One of his wives was named Hannah. The other one was Peninnah. Peninnah. Well, these two wives uh, struggled. Hannah was mostly discouraged because she was badgered by Peninnah. Peninnah had kids. And again, in this culture, what was so important for women was to be able to especially have a son. But if they couldn't have a son, just to have some child or two or five or eight, it would, well, give them worth at least at that time. Well, one day, though, at the temple, Hannah came and she poured her heart out to God. She cried out to God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that as she was praying, she almost looked like she was out of control. Eli, who was there, the high priest, literally thought she had been drinking. And she was chastised by Eli and says, Hey, woman, go back home. Don't come here inebriated like that. And she found out real soon, or he found out real soon that Hannah was just pouring her heart out to God. Well, once he found that out, he said, may God just give you your request. Well, in just a little time after this, God did bless Hannah. And God gave Hannah a baby, and she named him Samuel. It was pretty odd, though, because although she waited so long for Samuel, and Samuel was so very, very, very important to her, she had, well, declared to God that if she did have a son, she would give this son back to God, and he could grow up in the temple, excuse me, in the tabernacle, and that he would learn to be a man of God there. After all this happened, it seems, how could you just give away this beautiful little boy? But the scripture tells us this, is that Hannah was a woman of her word. And after she weaned Samuel, she gave him to God and was so cool as that she prayed. She prayed a prayer that we have recorded in the scriptures in Second, excuse me, First Samuel, chapter two, starting at verse one. This is what Hannah prays after, well, giving her little boy away. 
My heart rejoices in the Lord, she says. The Lord has made me strong. No one is holy like the Lord. No one beside you. There is no rock like our Lord. And jump down to verse 6. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but rises, raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in the seats of honor, for all the earth is the Lord's, and He has set the world in order. He will protect His faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. Wouldn't that have been hard? God grants your prayer request. And then you, because you told God you would, give your little boy away. Hannah had no idea None of how important Samuel would be in the history of Israel. But we know this, is that once she left Samuel there, she continued to trust God. She was an amazing lady. Now I know that there are many who struggle with infertility and would love to be able to have a little baby boy or a little baby girl. I get that. But I also know that God, well, His ways are different than ours at times. And even when He gave Hannah this beautiful gift, Hannah eventually gave it away. And we're going to see in just a little bit how important Samuel was in this picture. As I mentioned to you, Eli was the high priest at this time. And he had some sons, but his sons were so very wicked. In chapter 2, starting at verse 12, now the sons of Eli's were scoundrels and had no respect for the Lord or for the duties they had as a priest. Jump over to verse 25. But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with his people. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. In the same place, Eli's sons did. But somehow Samuel began to respond. Samuel began to be sensitive, have a soft heart. Samuel then, the scriptures tell us in chapter 3, verse 1, that he hears from God. The scriptures tell us that at that time, God wasn't very active. There was so much sin around. There was so much rebellion that God hasn't visited priests and prophets for a while. But he saw that Samuel was a little bit different. And the scriptures tell us this, that one night while he was sleeping, Samuel heard his name. Samuel. Samuel gets up, runs over to Eli and says, Eli, what do you need? I didn't talk to you. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Well, you know how kids are sometimes, right? 
Well, this happens a second time, and it happens a third time. Then finally, Eli gets it, and Eli says, you know what, Samuel? My guess is it's God. You've not heard him before. He probably sounded a little bit different. My guess is just talk to him, address him. Well, he does, and God does talk to him. And God shares with them some news, some sad news. It's hard news. Basically, he says, your Eli's sons are blaspheming God, and you haven't disciplined them. You know what? They are going to die soon. Well, Eli, the next morning, couldn't wait to ask Samuel what God's message was. Well, Samuel was petrified. He had to tell Eli that God was going to judge his sons, his family, him, for, him, for their disobedience? Well, he heard it, and it all came to pass. Eli heard the news, fell backwards in his chair, and literally died. At this time, Samuel became judge and priest. And the sad thing is, is that although Samuel walked with God, he also picked up some poor habits, and his sons became wicked. In chapter 8, and again, we're skipping through this in in a little bit faster pace here, but in in chapter 8, starting at verse 1, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father. For they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told them, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, to be quite honest, that sounds like it might be the right thing. It does. Seems like a good request. The people are clamoring for a king, but the reason they're clamoring is Joel and Abijah are not listening to God. They're not like Samuel. They're not men of honor or respect. So, hey, God, why don't you give us a king? This judge thing doesn't seem to be working out. The problem is, all the way through this time, is that God has been their king not a man. And so Samuel was so displeased when he heard this, even though his sons were involved. He basically said, God is your king. But God sits Samuel down, and he says this. He says, give the people what they want. They want a king. I know what kind they want. I want you to anoint a king. I want you to give them exactly what you want, uh, what they want. And what do they want? They want a king that's tall. They want a king that's dark. They want a king that's handsome. They want a king that stands out. They want a king who's going to be a great ruler. That's the kind of king. And so that's what God gave them. Well, the people didn't talk anything about a king with a good heart or a king that would follow God. 
So Saul was anointed at 30, and he reigned until he was 72. Very early in his ministry, the Scriptures tell us in 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting at verse 6, is that the Spirit of God came upon him. Verse 6, at that time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Verse 9, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. You see, that happens to every one of us when we come to Christ by faith. The Scriptures tell us that we become new creations and that He changes us, new creatures. We are changed people, and that's what God's Spirit does. Now, the difference back in the Old Testament is that God's Spirit only indwells certain people for certain times, for certain tasks. Here, since Jesus Christ has died and opened the, well, the curtain for everyone, we all have the opportunity to be able to be spirit-filled and spirit-indwelled and allow us to be changed. Well, the Scriptures tell us that Samuel picked Saul and that the people were so excited to have this king. But Samuel knew something wasn't right. He did. And he shares his heart near the end of his life. And he starts off in chapter 12 saying, you know what, I have served you well. I have been honest. And then he goes through all this history, reminding them how wonderful God has been to them. And then he cuts to the chase in chapter 12, starting at verse 20. He says, don't be afraid. And the reason he says that is there was a gigantic miracle that had just happened. Kind of scared the children of Israel a little bit. You can read about that. But in, in verse 20, don't, don't be afraid. Samuel reassured them, you have certainly done wrong. In other words, you wanted a king, okay? But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all of your heart and don't turn your back on him. Don't go back worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They're totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. Oh, you and your king will be swept away. Samuel's main responsibility over and over and over and over and over again was to remind them, you have a good God. He has been unbelievable to you. When you listen Oh, life is good. When you don't, life is hard. Oh, it didn't take long for Saul to bend the rules. 
it didn't take long before he began his spiral downward. He had great intentions, but there was also great consequences. In 1 Samuel 13, we read that he went to war against the Philistines. He was told to. But as he looked out, the Philistines had at least 9,000 warriors. He had only 3,000 warriors. Well, Samuel had told him to wait there that he would come and prepare a sacrifice and that they would honor God first before they went to war. Well, they waited. And the scriptures tell us that all the men of Israel started to get, well, more than afraid, petrified. They started leaving. He saw his troops dissipate. He knew that he had to honor God. He knew that he needed to have a sacrifice. And the second day more or less, and third day and fourth day, he only had 3,000 to start off with. Don't you think, again, it would be great if, well, Samuel would show up. We need this sacrifice. So in desperation on the seventh day, as he saw his troops leave, Saul offers a sacrifice. These are great intentions. God, I want to honor you. But God's way was, you need to let the priests do this. You are not a priest. Say, well, it seems so trivial. He had the right heart. But the scriptures say this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people. To us, not that big of a deal. To God, good intentions don't cut it. They don't. He wants us to obey him in every area. And you're going to hear this over and over again. And now, what I want to warn you about is 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 ought to be a chapter that you read over and over and over again. It's one of the saddest chapters in all of the scriptures. Saul's incomplete or partial obedience happens here. We behave, I behave like Saul so much where I sort of obey. I know that's pretty bad English, but, but the truth is, we all sort of obey. The scriptures tell us, and you can read this whole chapter right in the very beginning, in chapter 15, well, let's look at chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. God said this, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle the accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire um, uh, Amalekite nation. 
men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Again, that is hard for us to read. We don't understand this. We don't even understand how malicious the Amalekites were to the children of Israel many hundreds of years before this. But God says this, is that if you disobey me, there are consequences. And as hard as this is, this was a mission, this was an assignment given to Saul. Go into this land and make sure that you destroy everything. Everything. Well, look at verse 7 of chapter 15. Then Paul slaughtered the Amalekites from Halalah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything, and if you underline Bibles, this is one I'd underline, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They only destroyed what was worthless or of poor quality. And Saul's, well, mind. I'm going to listen to you, God. I'm going to obey you. But I'm going to keep the king alive, and I'm going to keep all of the best livestock alive. I'm not going to listen to you completely. I'm going to listen to you a lot, though. And this, I'm sure, is going to be okay. Well, it wasn't okay. God talks to Samuel, the prophet. It's in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved that he heard that as he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel hadn't even gone to Saul at this moment. He hadn't. But God met with Samuel and basically said, I am so sorry that Saul is king. I thought he was going to obey. I thought he was going to listen to me. And Samuel, the representative of God, spent all night crying out to God. Amazing, his love for the king and for Israel. Well, early the next morning, and you can read this in verses 13 to 18, Samuel makes his way to uh, to Saul. Saul sees him and cheerfully says, Samuel, how you doing, buddy? And Samuel's, I'm sure, a little bit miffed. Well, what are you so cheerful for? Why are you so happy? And he said, what do I hear? I hear the bleeding of sheep. I hear animals. Well, well, what is going on? And then here's the key. As you read through some of these verses, make aware of that, or, or, or please be aware of this. In there, Saul says, Hey, Samuel, we did listen to you, but my men thought it would be best for us to keep all of the livestock so that we could sacrifice it to your 
God. Not my God. Your God. And then Samuel shook his head and said, God gave you a mission and you didn't do it. And here it is, Saul's a little cavalier. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Look at verse 19. Listen to the passion that Samuel has. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Whoa. He was so convinced he was listening to God. And so are we. So much of the time we look at our lives. Well, you know what, God, I do obey about 50% of the scriptures. I obey about 60%. I obey about 70%. Most of the time I obey you, God. Oh. And then in 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 22. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And I I want to stop right there. What do you think pleases God when you go to the temple and you do all the things you're supposed to do? You know... You think that's what pleases God? That you serve Him and love Him out of obligation? That you just do your thing and then you can live any other way all during the week or the month or the year? Honestly, you think that's a big deal? And then this is what he says, listen. In Hebrew, it shouts. He says, listen. I don't know if he took his face, put his hands on his cheeks, went eye to eye. Listen, Saul. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission, the listening to God, is better than offering the fat of rams. Now listen to this next part, because we would not put that in there. We just kind of think disobedience is just kind of disobedience and, oh, okay. Disobedience to God, and please hear me, this is God's word, is rebellion. And he says this, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness. In other words, I will not listen to you, God, is as bad as worshiping idols. You either listen to God or you don't. I either listen to God or I don't. So, 
because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Now again, we look at this and you read through this, Saul desires to be forgiven. There's no doubt about it. But I think what Saul desires is, hey, I got caught. Uh, I'm going to try to make this right so I can still be king. But there's no real action. There's no real repentance. Remember just a few weeks back, we talked about what repentance looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is that when you repent of any sin, when I repent of any sin, we make sure that it's not something casual. We do everything we can. If we've said something against someone, we go to them. If we've hurt someone, we go to them. Repentance means an action will follow. And there was really no action. If Saul would have repented, I guarantee what would have happened, he would have taken his sword, went into the tent, and chopped off Agag's head. Say, Rick, that's so crude. That is what God asked him to do. But I'll tell you one thing. Samuel feared God. He was shaking in his boots. And in chapter 15, look at verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived in full of hope, for he thought, surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord had killed. There's something different. The mission was listen to God in every area. Samuel feared God. He knew of the disobedience. He knew the mission that God had given Saul. He was not going to have any part of it. And this man of God took Agag's life. Say, Rick, Rick, I can't, I, I mean, I, I can't get by with all this violence, all this. And, and again, I, I'd love to sit down and chat with you. And we can talk about how God deals with rebelliousness. It is hard. I understand that. But this is how God works. Now, I told you I was going to ask you a question before I finish. Does he or she fear God? What about Hannah? Yes. Eli. Okay, sometimes. Hophni and Phinehas. No. Samuel. Yes. Joel and Abijah. No. Israel at this time. No. Saul. No. You see, the fear of God is something you teach. The psalmist says this. Psalm 34, 11. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Do you know that's one of the greatest responsibilities parents have? Do you know that's one of the greatest responsibilities pastors have and youth pastors have? 
is to be able to help people understand that God is worthy to be trusted and feared. Is that if you and I go against what God has to say, you will enter a life of misery. There's no doubt about it. And obedience to me shows that I am fearing God. If basically I flip God off, if basically I don't care what God says, or if basically I just obey what I want to obey, how'd that go as you grew up? You know, how, how well did that go in your household? You know? Well, I'll sort of obey you, Dad. There was never sort of obey my dad. Okay, there wasn't. And my dad was doing the best he could. God knows what's best for us. Let's look at this upper story. Let's, let's try to redefine God. Help us understand who God is. God is a compassionate God. God is a God who hears our prayers. God raises up faithful servants. If there's not one around, his plan's not going to be thwarted, folks. He's going to raise up a Samuel if all of the priesthood is corrupt. And he's going to use a faithful lady named Hannah to do that. And God is just. God never forgets. And as we look at the lower story, as we, as we see how we interact with God, first thing I want to encourage you is fear God. Fear God. Fear is learned. And, and as we trust God, even if we think we know better than God and understand or of the greatest intentions, God, I'm going to make a sacrifice. We can't go to war without you. That was good. But God says you don't do the sacrifices. The priests do. Intentions. We need to listen to God because our ways are not best. We need to obey God because great intentions or partial obedience does not please God. We deceive ourselves and justify our actions all the time. Well, I'll obey when I get to be 21. Or when I finally get married, I'll be able to serve the Lord. Or when I finally get enough in the bank, then I can give to you, God. Hey, when things settle down at work, then I can serve you, Lord. And we keep going over and over. And I don't know what God's been talking to you about. But some of us need to probably even confess our sin. And God desires that. He wants a relationship. And, and as we confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what mission God has given you. I don't know where he's placed you at work. I don't know what neighborhood you live in. But I think God has given each one of us mission. And we need to trust God. He is a good, good Father. Let's pray. Father, there are so many different ways to go in these first 15 chapters. 
We love how Hannah trusted you in spite of having a rough life. We love how you brought little Samuel around in spite of the disobedience of the priesthood. We love, Father, how Saul, well, sort of pleased you, but we realize he didn't please you. And that we often justify and we think that, that we're doing you a favor. God, give us a vision of who you are. Would you help us obey you? And all the rest will fall into place. Would we fear you? Would we help each other fear you? Would we listen to you, Jesus? We pray all these things in your name.